We want to thank this congregation this morning on this very wonderful day to be able to assemble in God's house. And I would just like for you to turn to the person next to you and tell them how grateful you are to see them say it rather quietly. But we are grateful to have you here. I'm very humbled to be able to give this Bible lesson today. And any time that we're dealing with the book of Revelation, I feel like, I feel very much inclined to say, help me, Lord God, help me. Because the book of Revelation in the last book of your Bible is a very important book. The Bible reminds us that a good minister will deal with the full, whole counsel of God. The book of Revelation is part of the canon, so we do not want to, uh, to ignore that wonderful book. This will be our second incursion into the outline on the book of Revelation. It's, the outline is entitled, The Flyover of the Apocalypse. We're looking only at the high points of Revelation. We could spend weeks or months in this book. So we're just summarizing the more salient points of this wonderful prophetic book from the lips of Christ our Savior. Now I have in the handout that you're receiving some general information about the book of Revelation that's very important. Information that you might ought to know about. So we're going to, um, first of all, we want to welcome not only those who are gathered here in southwest Missouri, but to our Israelite family of people all across the United States, wherever you may be in homes and different locations, wherever two or three are gathered together, the Church of Jesus Christ is in session. So let the word go forth. The Church of the Living God is in session. And the first order of business for any God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-war, spirit-filled congregation is to take time to pray. Let's pray. God, our Father, we humbly acknowledge that we live in a country, in a nation that has rejected Thee, broken covenant, walked away from Your precepts, repudiated and scorned your laws, commandments, statutes, and judgments. We have become a very wicked nation. And Father in heaven, we suffer great sorrow and remorse in our hearts for the wickedness of our people. We plead, Lord God, in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, that there would be a reformation, a return, a spirit of godly repentance to turn back to the Word of God, 
and to have faith in Christ and to serve and love him and to walk in his truth. Help us, we pray, in Christ. And for his sake, we beg of thee today, help us, Lord God, in this Bible lesson in Jesus Christ's name, amen. We know the Bible teaches us in Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So how do you become welded to Christ? Through faith, repentance, obedience, and baptism. But how do we become joined together as a church body? We become welded to Christ in baptism. 1 Corinthians eleven three, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of Christ is God. Correction. And the head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. 1 Corinthians eleven three. So how do you and I, how do we come together as a body of believers? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, as many of you as have been baptized, has, have been baptized in the Spirit are baptized into the body. So it is by the blood and the water that was shed from the side of Christ that we are purchased and made a part of Christ. It is by the Spirit and the truth, by medium of the Holy Spirit, that we are becoming one family. One family of people that we might all become one mind, not carried about with every wind of doctrine that blows, not divided, not splintered, divided in our minds, but united in Christ by the blood and the water, united to each other in spirit and in truth. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation today, and we'll take out our little flyers and we will proceed. It is very important and I think everyone knows this, but it bears repeating. There's a world of people that are all divided and mixed up about the book of Revelation. And it's not our goal today to give any kind of a last word on the book of Revelation. As long as time endures, people will read the book of Revelation and still find things that may be true. No mortal that has ever lived has ever mastered the book of Revelation. And everyone who has ever written a book on the book of Revelation probably would like to rewrite the book because it's a well that does not run dry. We need to remember that the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, 
that in the last days Christ has spoken unto us by the prophet called Jesus. Think about it now. The last two great prophecies that are recorded in your Bible were delivered by Jesus himself. The book of Revelation begins with this word, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him. It's a prophecy. The word prophecy appears five times in the book of Revelation. So it is a prophecy of Christ to his church. And we emphasize that it was written to the church. So those who have dispensed with the idea of the importance of the church and who have rendered the idea or propagated the idea that the church is no longer relevant, well, I guess they don't want to read the book of Revelation because it's written to God's church. Begins with the church and it ends with the church. So with that said, we remind everyone here today that there are people who do not read the book of Revelation because they believe it's all finished, done, and completed. For those who do not necessarily hold to that view, they continue to read the Word of God because above all else, we need to be a Bible-believing, Bible-anchored, Bible-reading church. And the day we cease to be a God-fearing, Bible-believing, Bible-reading, Bible-studying, Bible-validating church will be the day that God will lift His blessings from us. So we, got to, we have to stay with God's Word. The book of Revelation is a part of that Word. Now, everybody here knows that Genesis is the foundation it's the book out of which all truth is derived. If I want to know about the Sabbath day, I go to the, to the Bible and I go to the book of Genesis. I go to the book of Genesis. It's the foundation. If I want to know the root of any truth, I'm going to go back to the beginning. And if I can't find it in the beginning, if it's new, it isn't true. If it's true, it isn't new. That one statement will eliminate about 99% of the heresy abounding in Israel identity circles. But has no historical root in Genesis, can it be true? I leave that as a question in your mind. Is there a need to study the book of Revelation? Now, in the handout I've given you, I have given you ten reasons why it would appear in our generation that we need to look at the book of Revelation. It may be the most relevant book that we could read in the Bible. For our time in history. Now I say that it may be. 
I don't want to be dogmatic about that, but I do believe that, number one, religious deception and a great spiritual falling away is predicted in your Bible. And we're witnessing, to, uh, uh, witnessing that in our generation for, for, for sure, all across America and the Western world. And then number two, we are living in the age of digital technology and no other world, no other age, no other time in history has ever had a time of digital technology that's shaping the entire world. And we live in a day and time of moral reprobation. Now hold on, we may be approaching the most wicked, the most wicked generation since the flood of Noah washed away the wicked of that generation. It may very well be when we have a generation of people that will mutilate the bodies of little children and believe that they are able to pursue that because they hold a PhD from Harvard or some other Ivy University. That is wicked. The mutilization of children. How wicked can you go? We live in a day of growing totalitarian government. And the appearance of two beings, two cosmic beings appear out of the pages of Revelation. One is called a beast, a sea beast. The other is another kind of beast. He's called a false prophet. I know of no other book in the Bible that describes so well the political and the religious summation of our time. Number six, there is a growing tendency for the genocide of the white race. There are minds and people today that are vowing to remove all white people from the planet. The best way to answer that position, if you are married and can still have a child, God bless you, have that child. That may be the greatest way to speak to evil in your generation to add, not subtract from your family. And then, number seven, the cancellation of all free speech. Rewriting, revisiting history, monitoring all social media platforms. Number eight, demanding complete conformity Complete conformity, if you step out of the herd mentality, they become agitated and they may punish 
people that do so by removing them from a social media platform. Number nine, there is a growing tendency to tighten the noose of all financial transactions by a one-world digital monetary currency. And finally, the utter rejection and denial of God and the reality of His Word found in the Bible. For the young people sitting in this congregation today, or for anyone else concerned about it, God and Scripture are the only reality that ever was or will be. If you separate God and Scripture from your worldview, you have been bought and paid for by those who are wishing and willing and wanting to turn our world into a confused state of totalitarian rule. So with those thoughts in mind, let's go now to the book of Revelation, and we will feast our eyes on the outline, and we're going to start right where we left off. We left off on number seven in the outline. Number seven, we were getting ready to talk about the five parenthetical places in the book of Revelation. So what is a parenthetical insertion into this book called the book of Revelation? Well, a parenthetical parentheses is something that's added to what is going to be said about anything. Something that's added to it. For example, there are five parenthetical places in the book of Revelation that are inserted into the Revelation itself. So you'll come to a parenthetical chapter. The first one is dealing with chapter number 7, the 144,000 sealed Israelites and the tribulation saints as found in Revelation 7, 1 through 17. The second parenthetical insertion is found in Revelation 10, 1 through 11, 14 with the angel, the little book, and the two witnesses. The third parenthetical insertion is the lamb, the remnant, and the everlasting gospel encompassing chapter 14, verses 1 through 13. And number four, the kings gathered at Armageddon is parenthetical in chapter 16, 13 through 16. And then finally in Revelation chapter 4, correction, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, there are four hallelujahs shouted from heaven. And that is another parenthetical 
insertion. Then as we look deeper into the book of Revelation, we need to remember that we could see how a parenthetical revelation works by letting me remind you of this. In Revelation 14.1, the lamb and remnant are seen prophetically on Mount Zion, though they do not in reality arrive there until chapter 20, verse 4. So they're giving you a preview of something that, that's going to come in chapter 14, but it hasn't happened or will not happen until chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Book of Revelation requires a lot of careful scrutiny. You really have to be cautious and careful. Now, we're going to plunge now into something that's very important with number eight. There are some counterfeit ideas that you need to remember. We live in a generation of counterfeiting. Money is counterfeiting. And the money is counterfeited today. Federal, note, Federal Reserve notes are counterfeit. Or fiat money backed by nothing. Our food is being counterfeited. All these preservatives and additives counterfeiting the genuine food supply. They're even counterfeiting the clothes we wear. Our feet are not able to breathe through plastic. God did not design your body for plastic shoes. So the counterfeiting goes on and on, but the greatest counterfeiting that has been perpetrated is in the church with counterfeit theology. Counterfeit theology. And the book of Revelation will never be understood through the lenses of counterfeit theology. So let's review some of the counterfeits. If you believe that modern Ashkenaz Khazarian Jews living in a land called Palestine, the state of Israel, you believe they're Israelites, bona fide genetic Israelites, you're lost. They're counterfeit. They're not the real deal. They're not the real Israelites. They're counterfeits. We're fighting to defend them right now. The, the gathering together over in Palestine that came about after, uh, in the early years of the 1900s and culminated in the organization of the State of Israel on May 14, 1948, that is a false regathering. False regatherings, counterfeit gathering. The true Israel has yet to be regathered. Number three. There's a counterfeit Christ that's being preached in the world today. 
The Jesus of the Bible is not the Jesus that is being preached in the denominational church world today. The vanilla Jesus. The vanilla Jesus that says love, love, love. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. So there's a counterfeit Christ. There's a, count, there's a counterfeit false rapture of the church. Millions of evangelicals are being told every week, get paid up, prayed up, and ready to go up. Because we're all going to get, we're all leaving out of here. We're leaving town. We're going to turn the lights out and leave. Leave Dodge behind. I monitored the rapture preaching last weekend by listening to a variety of evangelical preachers. And they were all preaching about, with the exception of one, I believe one preacher, they were all enraptured with the rapture. Do you know the only valid point about the rapture the Bible makes is that those who are living when Christ returns will be changed in a moment Amen. in the twinkling of an eye and they will go from a terrestrial body to a celestial body. And then they will be able to do unimaginable things in that glorified body. So if they decide to meet Jesus in the transliteration as he comes down, I'm in 1 Thessalonians 4, they will have the ability to do that. But when someone comes to knock at your door, church, and you answer the door, you don't just suddenly disappear with them. You invite them in. So Jesus is going to come and visit us. He's going to come back. So we're not going to be deceived by a false rapture. Noah was saved in the tribulation of a violent flood. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved in the fire, not out of it. Daniel was saved in the lion's den, not out of it. Israel will be delivered in tribulation, not out of it. What makes this generation feel so special that they can avoid tribulation? What makes them so much better than the martyrs and those who have died throughout the history of the last 2,000 years for the testimony they bore about Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him. They overcame the Antichrist by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. During COVID-19, shutdown, lockdown, I didn't wear a mask at one occasion and I was supposed to be wearing an, a mask, and a lady came up to me and she said, she knew me, she said, are you not concerned about catching COVID and dying? I said, no. 
She said, well, maybe you ought to be. I said, why? The best thing that could ever happen to me is for me to die, which would be gain because I would be with Christ. But as long as he wants me in this body, I don't fear COVID or anything else. My days are numbered and they're in his hand. Why should I fear? Besides, the Bible tells me in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's a good spiritual verse to say every day. 2 Timothy 1.7. And then beyond that, I would remind this congregation of what Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, which I believe that one theologian that I have high respect for said is the most dangerous two verses to read out of the entire Bible. Do I dare read what this theologian said? were the two most dangerous verses to read out of the Bible. I'm going to do it right now. Here we go. Luke's Gospel 12, 4 and 5. Words of Jesus. Listen carefully. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Now those two verses need to be marked in your Bible. Because... There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. 1 John 4.18 So I just mentioned that in regards to all the counterfeiting that's going on about the rapture and what else. Now, there are two natures, two false nature, natures associated with the beast that rises up in Revelation 13. And it's a counterfeit of the two natures of Christ. God is in Christ. He's very God and very man. So this cosmic beast in Revelation 13, seeks to be God. He seeks to be man. Two natures. And then there's a counterfeit trinity, yes? Now think about it. If you don't, if you don't understand the triune nature of God, you may have trouble in the book of Revelation. Because in Revelation 16, verse 13, it says, Three... Three, three different personages, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. 
had the spirit of wickedness, evil. So they have a false trinity, triunity of God. They're, the God of the counterfeit world is the dragon, the beast, and the, and the false prophet. And then, finally, you guessed it, there is a real false sealing. It's called the mark of the beast. But it's not the sealing that God has in mind for his people. God will seal his own. And the sealing agent is called the Holy Spirit. Which is another insertion into the Bible as a study. So there's a counterfeit mark called the mark of the beast in contrast to the sealing of God's children. So the question would arise, does God have the power to seal you and immunize you, inoculate you against the mark of the beast? How would he do that? I'm not sure. If I knew, it would no longer be a faith walk. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, touch it, feel it, or experience it, it's no longer faith. So we have, we're called to be children of faith. Through faith, we understand that the world's were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hebrews 11.3 So we have to be children of faith. So we're moving on to number 9 and we're going to look at the seven seals. The book of Revelation opens with seven seals. Now, it's not surprising that there are many, many Bible believers who think the seals have already been opened. And not only that, they think the seven trumpets of Revelation have sounded. And not only that, but they believe that God's already emptied the, emptied the vials of His wrath upon the wicked. Different interpretations of how the book of Revelation is viewed. So let's take a look by turning to chapter 5 of the initial seven seals of the book of Revelation. Oh, what a confusing world of information there is about all of this. I'm in Revelation chapter 5. I invite you to turn there if you will. Revelation 5, 1. Let's read together. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within. And on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And 
No man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look therein. So no mortal can open that book called the seven seals. Are we agreed on that? Good. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look therein. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, those are the living creatures, the four fixed standards of Israel. Now, I might add that the book of Revelation has more Old Testament references in it than any other book in the New Testament. I want you to think about that. There is more reference to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation than any other book in the New Testament. More than 200 references to the Old Testament. The Bible is a seamless book of truth from Genesis 1-1 to the last word in Revelation. So the Bible says that when he had taken the book, verse 8, the four beasts, four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood and out of, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall, be reign, we shall reign on the earth. Now, the typical reader of the book of Revelation, those who read the book of, of the book of Revelation without careful study are going to be misled into believing that the book of Revelation is designed for a multiracial church. And they build that from Revelation 5, let me read that again. Redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Now hold on to that verse and turn to chapter 7. Chapter 7. And you'll see in chapter 7. What we have in chapter 7. Verse 9, and after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. I'm in Revelation 7, verse 9. 
of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and psalms, palms in their hands. So again, there is a propensity for people to turn to those two places in the book of Revelation to what they claim validate a multiracial, racially mixed congregation that all people of all races in Christ become one. Oh, really? Isn't it amazing from Genesis 1-1 to the beginning of the book of Revelation, the Bible teaches that God created every race distinctively after his own kind. When the Most High separated the sons of Adam, set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel, well, the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Deuteronomy 32, 7 through 13 are very important words. Now, you people are intelligent. You've seen both Revelation 5, you've seen 5, 9, and you've just read 7, 9. 5, 9 and 7, 9, there's a word in that rendering of Scripture that is the key to understanding what that's talking about. What is that word? What word do you see in chapter 5, verse, verse number 9? And what word do you see in chapter 9, correction, chapter 7, verse 9? I heard, it, I heard somebody say it. Kindred. Now, what do you think the word kindred means? All the redeemed are kindred people. Who did God say would be scattered in dispersion among all the nations? What people were punished with being scattered? Think about Israel. What did God tell Israel at the end of the kingdom of the northern kingdom? Please open your Bibles momentarily to the book of Amos chapter number 9. Let me read to you from Romans, correction from Amos 9, 9. This is what God said about Israel. I'm in Amos 9, 9 for lo... I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations as corn is sifted in the sieve and yet not the least grain will fall upon the earth. So God said, I'm going to scatter Israel, but I'm not going to lose Israel. They're going to be lost to the world, lost to the preachers, but not lost. To a sovereign holy God. So coming back to Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9. The word kindred is the critical word. The word kindred, if you go home today, you may want to validate this. You can look it up in any Greek lexicon. In the Greek, in the Greek language, the word kindred translated 
into English, kindred, is from the word genos, G-E-N-O-S, and it means, it means a race or a people sharing the same family, tribe, genetic line. So let's look at a couple of examples. And I, I pause here because those who study the book of Revelation often turn this book into a multiracial piece of literature, biblical literature, and they do so without authority to do that. So I'm going to ask you what the word kindred means in Hebrew. Well, it means a brother or a relative of the same blood. The Hebrew and the Greek, pretty much the same. So when God called Abraham, he told him to leave his what? To leave his kindred. But we better read it out of the Bible. Let's read it into the record. Turn in your Bible to Genesis 12, verse 1. I'm in Genesis 12, 1 now, and I'm reading. Now the Lord Jehovah had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. Kindred. The word kindred, K-I-N-D-R-E-D, is one of the most important words in your Bible, Old and New Testament. Because it's connecting the people of Israel together through the generations. And it, it identifies them as God's children. So I mention that. Very, very important. So we come back to the opening of the seven seals. We haven't lost our way yet. We're in Revelation 5. And we see many wonderful things here. And then we turn to Revelation 5. And verse 14, and the four beasts said, Amen. The four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And then beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, we have the seven seals beginning to open. Now, I'm going to read the opening of seal number 1. My goal here is to read it. Your goal is to ask yourself, has it already happened? Is it happening now or is it going to happen in the future? Is, are the seals past? Are they present? Are they future? I read, you decide. And I saw when the lamb, L-A-M-B, that was slain, in the previous chapter, that's Jesus. He opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, 
and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So these are the famous four horses of the apocalypse. They represent the first four seals of the seven seals. So we have a white horse, verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 and 4, we have a, another horse. When, it, when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So now we have a white horse conquering and conquering. But he comes in as a rider on a white horse. And then we have a red horse. Verse 5, we have a black horse, a black one. Verse 5, when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and beheld, I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pay, pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, See that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So that's the third horse. And here comes the fourth one. Do you hear, have you heard him gallop forward yet? And he opened the fourth seal, and I heard the voice of the fourth beast, fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Would that be a palomino? Well, we know he's pale. And his name that sat on him was death. Whoa. This rider on the pale horse is called or named death. And who followed death? Hell. Hell followed with him. Power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. The pale horse is named death and hell follows him because the pale horse is representative of all four of these judgments coming together. All of them come together. All four horses are joined together in the pale horse. Take a look at it again. Look at Look at that pale horse again. Look at the, look at verse number eight. The fourth given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, with the beasts of the earth. Now, some of you people were here the day that we gave a lesson called the four sword judgments of Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 12. To the end of the chapter. How many of you remember the four sore judgments of Ezekiel? Okay, I have one person, two people, three people that remember. The four sore judgments. What were the four sore judgments of Ezekiel 14? Well, they were famine, 
the sword, the noisome beast, and pestilence or plague. Essentially the same that we're reading here. The four horsemen of the apocalypse are paralleled in Ezekiel 14 with one major exception. The four judgments, the four judgments in Ezekiel were upon the land of Judah only. They were to bring an end to the land of Judah, the nation. You can read that and prove it by looking at Ezekiel 14. But the four horsemen in the apocalypse are worldwide judgments. The four sword judgments in Ezekiel were localized, but these are universal. The whole world will feel the sting of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So now, how many figure out, how many have figured out, have, they all, have these horses already ridden? Have they, are they being saddled up now? Are the riders seeking to get their foot in the stirrup and ride them? Where are we, church? Has the book of Revelation already been historically sealed and done with? Is it currently underway? Is it going to happen in the future? What do you think? Do you know that for 2,000 years, people have argued over that? Is it behind us? Is it unfolding now or is it in the future? Now, how many, if, how many of you believe that you've got it figured out? Well, I don't see any hands. So do you know what, folks? I'm not going to be dogmatic. I'm not going to stand in judgment for those who have weighed in on the book of Revelation. Because I think everyone is seeking, generally, to get to the truth. But my own personal opinion is that we would be very remiss and anemic Christians to believe that God had not written a prophecy for us to guide us through the end of time and history of man's allotted days on the earth. I don't believe that God would leave his people without some information. That's why I think that Revelation, part of it we know has happened. Historically, we know seven churches of Asia once existed. The ruins of those churches can be visited in many cases today. Some of it was unfolding when it was delivered to John on the Isle of Patmos. But what about that part of the book of Revelation that it tells us is for the future? Do you know the argument one of the greatest arguments about the book of Revelation is the dating of this book. Because the preterists want it dated before 70 A.D. They've got to have the book of Revelation written before the Roman 
armies destroyed Jerusalem. But the weight of scholarship places the book of Revelation in the last decade of the first century between 92 and 96 AD. What date is on your Bible? What date did they use in your Bible? Mine is 96 AD. Does anyone have a Bible here with 70 AD? Or 68 AD? Or 65 AD? The way you date this Bible will have a great impact on how you interpret the book of Revelation. The, the, the date you apply to the book of Revelation. And that's a study in and of itself. I spent a couple of hours on that this week, looking at the dating of the book of Revelation. And I'm going to tell you that the weight of evidence is that it was written at the very last of the first century, not in the years before 70 AD. So let me, in the final moments of this lesson, have you do something that will be very important for you to do. Here's what I'd like you to do. John the Apostle is the one that received the book of Revelation as an elderly man, very old, on the Isle of Patmos. He had been exiled there by the Roman imperial government. So John is the author of his gospel. What year was your gospel dated for the, the Apostle John. What year do they have for the Apostle John's gospel in your Bible? This is very important, church, and I'm going to tell you why. The gospel of John begins in A.D. 26, but when did, he, when did John put it all together in written form? Between 85 and 90 A.D., that's moving toward the end of the first century. Now, turn to the epistles of John. Go to 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the New Testament. Please, this is really important that you do this. What date do you have for the first epistle of John? Does anyone have a date before 90 A.D.? Nobody. Does everyone, how many have a date of 90 or after? What kind of Bibles are you people reading? Are, do you have dates in your Bibles? How many have Bibles that read 90 A.D.? Or after for First John. Okay, about four or five people. Some of you people need to really examine the Bible you are studying from. Let's go to Second John. Second John. What is the date you have for that one? Does anyone have a date before 90 A.D.? Nobody. Does anyone have 90 A.D. or thereafter? Several. What about 3 John? 3 John? Anyone have a Bible dated before 90 A.D.? 
noble one that I see with their hand up. My Bible says after 90 AD. Now why is this important? John is the one, he's the apostle that received the book of Revelation. John didn't write anything. John left no written record until he was banished to the Isle of Patmos toward the end of his life, and he spent his time in exile writing his gospel and his first, second, and third epistle. Now, if that be true, it kills dead all the preterists who argue that the book of Revelation was finished before 70 A.D. and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. That's why it's important, church, for you to carefully scrutinize the book of Revelation. Now, in closing today, the white horse is symbolic of a counterfeit rider and a counterfeit person riding the horse. It's not to be confused with the white horse of Revelation 19.11, which is Christ returning on the day of vengeance to clean up the wickedness of this earth. There's two white horses in the book of Revelation. One is a good horse. One is a deceptive deceiver. What did Jesus warn about us, warn of? warn us of in the Oliviate prophecy, Matthew 24. Many will be deceived. Great deception. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. The red horse is symbolic of war. The black horse is famine, food shortages. The pale horse encompasses all four sore judgments. The sword, the war, the famine, and the noisome beasts. We live in a land with noisome beasts. How many have ever traveled through an area of noisome beasts? Well, just think about it. And, and you know, it's obvious that we're not moving very quickly through this outline here. Now, since this is a flyover outline, we ought to be flying at a greater speed than we're flying. So we seem to be stalling out. We'll, we'll attribute that to turbulence. The turbulence of the mind of the speaker. So we're going to close this lesson down now. We're going to close it down. And we're going to be standing.
Savior, we 